0: Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Good morning. I drove two tenths of a mile to get here, and then I swam a further one from across the road. God was obviously not satisfied with that baptism of immersion I had in the Baptist church in Bangor. Daphne commented that the top of my head was wet, not my hair, the top of my head. Turn to 1 Samuel, Chapter 19. And I was on the road to Donagabee this morning, leaving Timothy to his job in the coffee shop. On the way back, I met several people running out on a day like that. And then I met a whole group of them running, and I just thought, what is wrong with you guys? Why are you out running on a day like that? There are better days to do it, and then in connection with what I want to speak about this morning, and, and the songs all fitted in amazingly. I thought, well, it's days like that that will stand to you instead for the day of the race. You build up resilience on a day like this for the day of the race the day of the race may not seem so difficult if you've gone practicing on a day like today and so those people that are out running today looking daft and we are driving by are working for something what the last two years been like after COVID then things will be okay. We thought. <laughs> I tell you, I thought the last two years were possibly the the worst two years of my life. Probably my mum would disagree. That we have been through harder things. But no, that this is a this was a thing that just grasped the whole world. And yet, if you were careful, you could put on a mask and wash your hands often enough, and you could avoid as best you could COVID and what a two years they were. But after that, it would be OK. Boy, did we not know what was round the corner. Then comes along a Russian invasion that turns the world upside down. And, and people, dear Ukrainian, ordinary living people, human beings, flesh and blood like you and me, trying to go about their everyday lives find that putting a mask on and washing your hands is not going to help you against Russians blowing your apartment block apart and even a maternity hospital with children in it and women in labor. How could we have imagined in the continent of Europe that something like that would take place. Isn't it great that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? I tell you that's a mercy of God. What do we do in times like this? Or here's a better question. Are you? Am I? Are we? men and women, after God's own heart. Because what God said through Samuel to Saul was, I have rejected you, and I have sought out a man after my own heart. And then comes along Samuel to Bethlehem, and he anoints the young boy, the youngest of the family, David, as king and it goes quiet for a while and and david's just tending the sheep and going back and forward to the palace to calm souls nerves and then there comes a giant slain and you could think wow after that things are going to be okay after COVID things will be okay. Wow, David must have thought after this things will be okay. Saul, Saul will love me for this. Actually, David wasn't looking for Saul's admiration. David, David was looking for God's. And he had God's admiration. Because he had given that battle to God. He said, The battle is not ours, the battle is the Lord's. But he would, I'm sure, have expected that Saul would have embraced him as you so well told us some months ago, it's not how Saul felt about it when he heard the refrain, Saul has slain his thousands but David his tens of thousands and Saul was grievous at this refrain and he watched David with a jealous eye. And that jealousy built and built and built and Saul tried a number of things to David into being put to death he thought if he's my son-in-law he'll have a big target on his back he's the enemy's son-in-law and the enemy will take care of it but God thwarted all that as well and he tries a number of things and he even tries of course to pin David to the wall with a spear David didn't know what tomorrow would hold and he was a lucky man lucky sorry fortunate man not to know that he didn't know for the next 13 years he'd be on the run for 6 of those years he'd be on the run uh, in Judah for another 7 he'd be fighting the Israelites until they all came together and made him king if you are a man or a woman after the heart of God then be sure of this God has work to do in your heart and he needs you and he needs me to seek to want to go deeper and when David slayed Goliath boy you would have thought there is a guy at the top of his game well God knew he was only beginning he was only starting to Reach out for the heart of God. He had to go deeper. This man had to be made into a man who would lead a kingdom. Someone has said, I think it might have been Alan Redpath, something like this To be saved is the miracle of a moment, but to make the making of a saint is the work of a lifetime. And you, you you, you, will grow in your faith only as you hunger after God. And God designs life like that. But thankfully, he only feeds it to us one day in a row. One day at a time. But God now is going to take David deeper and deeper into himself. David asked the question in Samuel 17... 1 Samuel 17 verse 26 David asked the men standing there near him what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God and the men around him of course answered him with the fiscal economical monetary things that that Saul had offered the outward things that would make them rich and wealthy and the son-in-law of the king and free from taxes. But that wasn't what God had in mind for the man that would slay this Philistine. God had something far more for him. God had God for him. God had. The thing that he was after. God's own heart. He was going to build this man fully with the heart of God. And God was going to take him deeper into himself. David didn't know what he had asked that day. What will be done for the man who kills his Philistine? You just wait and see David. So Saul tries all of this. Look at at 1 Samuel chapter 19 verse 1. You wanna know what it is to, to, to fear for your life? You've seen it on the TV screens every night. You hear about it on the radio. You hear the, the background explosions. You hear the people crying. You hear the children screaming. You hear absolute panic and fear. Well, here's it on a personal level. Saul told his son, Jonathan, and all his attendants to kill David. There's no doubt about what Saul's motives are here. He's murder on his mind. He just wants it done. Why does he want it done? Look at the previous verse in, in, uh, sorry, look at verse 28 of chapter 18. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and his daughter Michael loved him, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. The Philistines... Commanders continued to go to battle, and as often as they they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. No chapter break in the original. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Why? Because I hate this guy. He's successful. He's far bigger than me, he's far better than me. Why do you not just repent before God and say, Yes, God, you told me a while back that you were going to hand the kingdom into someone else's hand. A man after your own heart. Is this him? But he never done that. He saw David become well known. He saw him become successful. And the more successful David came, because the Lord was with him, the more afraid Saul became of him and the more jealous and the more twisted he became and he wanted him dead. But Jonathan stands up for his friend. What it is to have a friend that will stand up for you. Even against the king, his father, he said to his father, Look, why would you kill an innocent man? Why? Why would you put David to death? David done a great thing that day, and the God, God won a fantastic victory for Israel. Why would you do something sinful by putting to death a man like that? And Saul listened to him, and David came back into Saul's service. But it only lasted a day or two. Once again, the Philistines went to war, and David had more success. And once again, an evil spirit came upon Saul, and once again, he tried to pin David to the wall. Chapter 19 and verse 10, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, God made good. That night, sorry David, made good his escape. Now here we start, we talked about day 41. Here we start in in an incredible unwinding of someone's life that lasts less than a week, in my understanding. This is the start of it. David now realizes, I've given it enough chances I have to get out of here. My life is in peril. I need to go. And this is where David first makes his escape from Saul. This is the first thing God will take from David to show David that what David needs is God. You're a man after God's own heart. What will be done for the man that kills the Philistine? Number one, I'm going to take your position from you. I'm going to take your livelihood. I'm going to take that adoration and adulation that the people have for you, that you're the great one that goes out and fights the battles. You're not going to be doing that anymore. Never again would David fight battles for Saul. And he makes his escape. Verse 11 in chapter 19, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Now what's that word, fled? You will see that word over and over again in the next few chapters. He fled. This is a man running for his life. And we've seen that this week people running for their life. It's a horrible thing. This this man is just trying to keep ahead of his enemy. And in doing so, he loses his wife. So he's lost his position, his income the high place that people held him in, he's now going to lose his wife and his home. He leaves through the window. He'll never be back there again. In fact, he'll never live with his wife again the way he had before. And worse than that, his wife doesn't stand up to her dad. She tells a lie that David was going to kill her if he—if he—if she didn't let him go. And that just ruined their whole relationship. So the most important relationship his marriage was ruined in his life taken away just like that so what does david do next verse 18 when david had fled there's that word again when david had fled and made his escape he went to samuel why wouldn't you go to samuel samuel is my spiritual leader samuel is the guy i lean on well i don't have the answers Samuel is the one that knows God better than I do. It's great to have a person to get in your life. Ivan has been a person to get in my life for years. And I hope I'll try to be a person to get, and I do, to other people. But we need people to help us along. But sometimes, I'm not talking about you, right, Ivan, but But sometimes, we can lean on people too much. They can become the person who gives us the answers instead of us going to God. Someone once said to me, before you get on the phone, go to the throne. Before you get on the phone and say, how will I sort this out? My brother stole all my sweets. I don't know where he left. That was trivializing him. You've got a problem in your life. Instead of running to every door to try and get the answer, why don't you go to God's door first? Go to his throne. But David went to. Look, when David had fled, he made his escape and he went to Samuel at Ramah. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth. And stayed there. Word came to Saul. David is in Naoth and Ramah. And then Saul goes down to Naoth after him. And he sends men. And there's a number of things that happen. You need to read this stuff. And read it and read it. But I can't tell you it all this morning. But so God thwarts all that too until he has Saul lying naked actually for a day and a night prophesying. When he's supposed to be trying to kill David, God puts an end to that. And that gives David another escape. But in escaping, he has to leave Samuel behind. And now that is gone in his life. His spiritual advisor, the person who he would run to for help, is gone. He won't meet him again. chapter 20. Look what it says. Then David fled from the He's He's in absolute panic mode by this stage. I've left my job. I've ran away from it. I ran home. I thought I'd be safe at home with my wife. I've lost my house. I've lost my wife. Now I've lost Samuel, the one person I thought I could rely on spiritually to hold me up to give me the answers. He didn't give me any. and I'm on the run again. Where will it go? And then David fled from there off at Ramah, and he went to, I know where I'll go. I'll go to my best friend, Jonathan. If anybody can help me, It's Jonathan. He's he's the king's son. He's also my brother-in-law. And look how unravelled he is when he gets to, to Jonathan. He came to Jonathan and he said, What have I done? What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Fear the desperation. And Jonathan doesn't know this latest twist of things because remember Jonathan went out and had words with his dad and his dad promised that he'd never kill, John or kill David and of course he's kept it from Jonathan this time because David says, but David to, said to him, And took an oath, your father knows very well that I have found favour in your eyes, and has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or else he will be grieved. Yet, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death, desperation. Jonathan, here's that friend thing again. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. What a friend. And this is a long chapter. So they set up a plan to find out if Saul really wants to take David's life. And the answer is a negative one. Yes, he does want to take your life. Now we've all got used to thinking that negatives a good thing in the last couple of years. In my very first room that I cleaned of a COVID patient, and they were waiting on their test, I said, I hope you get a positive result this afternoon, meaning a good one. And they looked at me in horror, but this is a negative answer. Yes, my dad wants to take your life. You need to read the whole chapter. And at the end of the chapter, which started with a great friend saying, I will do for you whatever I can, and I will do it for you, Look at verse 41 of chapter 20. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side and he bowed to his friend, saying, Friend, you are my greatest friend. You've told me the truth. The truth sometimes hurts, but you've told me the truth. You didn't butter it up. You just said to me, you need to get out of here. David bowed down before Jonathan three times in his, with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. And I've said it before, don't read stuff into that. Then they kissed each other. It's a Near Eastern sense of brotherly love and embrace and probably kissing on the heads or or, or on the forehead or on the cheeks or something. There was nothing other than that, okay? This was deep, deep friendship. That was about to end. And look at the way it affected them. They kissed each other and they wept together. You know, we can't be together again. We're, we're the best of friends. In fact, we're entwined. There's a there's a there's a translation that says they were knit together, they were woven together, they were like one person in the Lord, they were both men after God's own heart. But David wept. The most. Jonathan said to David, verse 42, chapter 20, Go in peace, for we have sworn in friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between me, you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Jonathan could go back, but David had to go on. Do you know where he was going? And he probably never knew it because he was in such despair. He was going deeper into God. He was going and he he thought his world was falling apart, but actually he was going deeper into God. The next chapter is one of the most sad chapters in the Bible. In fact, if you take out what David did with Bathsheba and to her husband Uriah, this is probably the biggest mistake David has ever made. David went, chapter 21, David went to Nob to Ahimelech. The priest Ahimelech trembled when he saw him. He thought, what's he doing on his own? He's got a bunch of guys with him. There's something going on here. And he, he trembled. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And then David, he's lost his livelihood. He's lost his position. He's lost his standing among the people. He's lost his wife. He's lost his home. He's lost his spiritual advisor. He's lost his best friend. And now David's starting to unravel. He's starting to lose his morals. And he probably ran here thinking, well, well, I'll be secure with my religious practices and the people who do those. But you know what? I better keep quiet about what's really happening. I'll tell some white lies if you like. He's starting to lose what it's really all about. He's starting to lose his self-respect. David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know about this, about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what have you to hand to give me five loaves of bread? And he asked for some provisions. And he tells some more stories, if you like, to obtain some sacred bread that was removed from the presence. Now, if you go to the New Testament, you'll find that Jesus understood David in this state. And if you're in a state this morning... And you are struggling and you have made some mistakes. Jesus Christ is the most gracious. And He covers all this up and He says, Do you not know? He told the Pharisees when the disciples were walking through the fields picking corn ears on the Sabbath and eating them. And the Pharisees, the religious people, said, Look what your disciples are doing on the Sabbath day. Jesus said, Have you never read your Bible? Do you not know what David did when he and his men were hungry? They got the bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. God didn't strike them down for that. He needed this stuff. He didn't need to tell Phibs about it. I think Ahimelech would have helped them anyway. These lies actually turn out into disaster. Ahimelech and all the priests of that town, in fact, 85 men who wore the linen ephod were put to death, along with the whole town of Nob, men, women, children, and infants, by Saul through a wicked servant, servant who's mentioned in this chapter called Doai. David even goes as low to say to the priest, I ran away without a sword around I was in such a hurry. Have you got a sword here? And do you know what sword he gets? He gets the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, who the priest actually reminds him, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, verse 9, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. Have you lost your marbles, David? You didn't need a sword then, and you don't need one now. You don't need this one, but if you want it, you can have it. And remember a few weeks ago I said to you that David put that very weapon in his own tent. And why did he put it there? I said he put it there because he was going to give it to God and he must have because here it is. And now he's taking it back off God. And do you know what he says about it? Look what he says at the end of that verse 9. David said, there is none like it, give it to me. He's lost it. He's lost everything. He's lost his self-respect and now he's going to lose his sanity. With that sword in his hand, David can think of nowhere else to run but where. Chapter 21 and verse 10. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Do you remember that, that place? It's where Goliath's from. He went into enemy territory. I can think of times in my own life when things have gone against me. And you know what? You think, well, why should I try any longer? And you slip into old habits and old territory that you shouldn't go near. Instead of going on with God, you think, well, there's no point anymore. I'll just, just give up. I'll go and join the enemy. If you can't beat them, join them. That day David fled from Saul, and he went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul is slain as thousands, and David is tens of thousands. David took these words to heart. And was very much afraid of Achi's king of Gath, so he feigned insanity and he let his saliva run down his beard and he scraped on the doors of the palace and on the gates of the city. And he acted like a madman, so much so that we get a bit of humor when Achi says in verse 14, said to his servants, Look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I short of madmen around here? that you have have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And David, look at chapter 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Adullam. What happened in the cave? God was taking David on a journey. He was taking everything away from him that David ever lent him. God now has David where God wants David. David had an appointment with God that David didn't know about, but God was there when David turned up for the appointment. And where was the appointment? In the back of a cave where he could run no further. It was dark and it was probably wet and smelly, but God was there. Everything else was lost. His wife, his family, his job, his spiritual advisor, his best friend. His religion was broke to pieces. He's now on the run from... Saul and the people in Gath. Where else will he go? And there's nothing left of this man. He's now insane. And God met him at the back of a cave. How do I know that? Well if you flip over very quickly to Psalm 142 you'll find that David wrote the psalm at the back of the cave. And he wrote three psalms at in the cave. He wrote Psalm 142, he wrote Psalm 57, and he wrote Psalm 34, and he seemed to have written them backwards. Or the way we have them recorded in the Psalms, because they actually work backwards, in the Psalms. the people who put them together, put them together in a way that they thought best for a certain reason, but if you read the Psalms, you'll find this. Look at Psalm 40, 142, and I'm just going to Cry aloud to the Lord. Sorry, look at the title. A maskell of David when he was in the cave. A prayer. A prayer. God, I've run from everybody. I've lost everything. And now I'm at an appointment with you. I cried aloud to the Lord. Did you ever do that? Do you know what? You, you get down quietly beside your bed sometimes. You say your prayers under your breath or, or you do whatever, but sometimes you just need to walk up beach on your own when the wind's blowing and you need to let him Rip it go and tell him how it is. I cried aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. I told it to Samuel. It, it, it didn't help. And now I'm telling you, God, when my spirits grow faint within me, it is you who knows my way. God, you knew this would happen. You, you've had appointment set up for, thank you for taking me on that journey. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see no one is concerned for me. There's nobody left. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O oh Lord. I say, I just said, you, I have no refuge. I cry to you, O oh Lord. I say, ye. You are my refuge. And I've lost everything. But you, you are my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry. For I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me. For they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. And then flip over to 57 just for For the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David and and Nick when he had fled from Saul into the cave. And he's cried out to God and now he's saying have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me for in you my soul soul, a heart, a man with a heart that is after the heart of God, this heart, this soul is now saying, for in you my soul, this journey has led me to find out that my refuge is found in you, I will take rest, refuge in the shadow of your wings until this disaster has passed. I haven't got time to say any more about that. Where are you at this week? Wherever you're at, God wants you to go deeper. Deeper into him. Whatever you're going through, God is not has not let things get out of control. And I say that with deep reservations when I look at my TV screen. And I see real human beings in real situations that I cannot imagine. I ordered oil this week and it felt like a gun or sorry two weeks ago. And it felt like a gun at my head when she said, there are 200 people ahead of you and I can't give you a price. And then I watched it go up 40 and 50 pound a day for the next five days. And I thought that seems, to work. the whole place is out of control. But then I thought, what is it like to have a tank gun at your house? But I'll tell you what. God is still in control. And history tells us that God is still in control. And even better, the Bible persuades us that God is in control. So the word refuge was used in every one of those Psalms that David wrote. And I'm sure David knew this verse. Whatever you're going through. The eternal God is your refuge the eternal God is your refuge that's deep that's going deep the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are his everlasting ones. Jesus said if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for what good will it be to a man if he gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Are you and I, or are we men and women after the heart of God? We want to go deeper. Let's Father, thank you that you love us so much that sometimes it seems that you leave us on our own and yet you never do. Jesus said. I will be left on alone, but I am not alone, for the, the Father is with me. Lord, thank you that in the darkest moments of our life, we can rely on this fact. God is with us. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Lord, we pray this morning for the people of Ukraine. For those that have fled to foreign countries just trying to get away. They're, they've, they've fled. For those that are left behind, Lord, we pray you. Pray for every one of them, Lord. And we pray especially for the family of God. For believers. For our brothers and sisters facing this. Lord because of what we've been doing this week we pray pray especially for the Sloan family we ask that you as Jonathan did in his very last meeting with David, he met David one more time and he, he helped David find strength in God. Lord we pray that's our prayer this morning that the Ukrainian people and especially believers would find strength